Hi there. I'm Keith Cauley, and this is Thrive, a Bridgestone Americas podcast where we explore our company through compelling conversations with teammates across our organization. We talk a lot about emerging technologies and solutions when we look to the future of mobility, but it's important to continue to reiterate that our foundational expertise, the tire, will continue to be a central part of all of that future. That's why we continue to invest in the constant advancement of our existing tire portfolio, alongside the development of new tire products to continue to deliver value for our customers, consumers, and the world around us. But how do we plan years in advance, really, for delivering new products or next generations of our existing product lines? What trends, data points, and discoveries drive our innovation along the way? Well, today we chat with Will Robbins, Director of Consumer Product Strategy, and Iris Ocasio, Product Planner on the Consumer Product Strategy team, about how they, in a sense, predict the future to put together a product strategy and work across Bridgestone to bring it to life. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, we are joined here in the studio by two uh, product planning strategic visionaries, I think is what we'll go with for this conversation at Bridgestone. But we'll go across the table for me. For those watching, this is Iris Ocasio, product planner from the Consumer Product Strategy Team. Thanks for joining us, Iris. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. And Will Robbins here in the middle, director of Consumer Product Strategy. Hello there, Will. Hello. Great to be here. Yeah. And so the conversation today I think a lot of people know about the manufacturing process when they think of how does a tire come to life, right? It starts with material, it goes through all of the different cycle, but there's even a very different idea of how does a tire come to life? And that is before it ever gets into manufacturing, what type of tire do we want to make, right? And that's what we're here to discuss. I hope anyway, that seems to be your expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So we'll, we'll start with a little bit of background on each of you, and then we'll get into the background of how the tire uh, strategy comes to life. But Will, let's work with you first. How did What is your current role, as you would describe it, and how did you get to this point in Bridgestone? Sure. So I'm the director of consumer product strategy, which really means that, you know, my team leads, as you indicated, you know, what tires should we be making five years from now, 10 years from now, and even more so with some of the new initiatives beyond that. So trying to set up all of that and then the mechanics of how the portfolio is developed. I've been with Bridgestone almost 18 years this year, which sounds really crazy to say it out loud. Um, <laughs> but I started up in Akron back in 2004 tire testing. So did that for a couple of years, worked in tire development. So on the OE side, so for Toyota, for Subaru, for Honda. And that's really where I learned about kind of like how tires work, tire mechanics, what they do and how they do it. Did that for about six years. And then from there, I got kind of interested in this customer interaction piece. So moved from there into our quality team where I was an account rep for uh, Toyota, Nissan, and Subaru. And so from that kind of got some exposure to the manufacturing operations went, worked in manufacturing in our process engineering development group for about four years and got really interested in like what makes our products work from that standpoint. And it's all just kind of been this slow build from like, how do tires work on vehicles? How do they work from a design? How do they work from manufacturing? And as a part of that, I got in part of our uh, new product process, which is how we kind of develop products and um, cross-functionally. And I got to know Robert Saul in the product team. And I was like, man, this is a really cool job. I want to be on that team. And so, you know, after a couple of years, the position became available to be um, one of the product managers. And so I joined the team then and, you know, was promoted to this position last year when Robert retired. So it's just been this kind of slow build to, to like being in this position where we can help develop a strategy. And I think 
you know, one of my philosophies is like, you have to go and experience the tire because tires go on cars, cars get driven by consumers. And it's really important not to lose sight of that. You know, we're not just developing widgets, we're developing, you know, real products for real people on real vehicles. And it's just been something that's been neat to be able to see the progression throughout the, the whole career. Yeah. We talk about all the time in, in this North Star strategy, that ABC model of the business foundationally, the core tire, the A part of the business is going to continue to be our strength in an area of investment. And this is what we're really focusing on this entire conversation yeah, today. Absolutely. So it's great. Iris, what, what about you? Yeah, I'm... 20-some years with the company, just like Will, Oh, right? God, yeah. no. Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, with Been with Bridgestone for about four years now. Started out in BSRO. Really interesting pivot into this team. My entire career had been in supply chain and in one of the NPP meetings, we were discussing new products and kind of saw what the team was about, thought it was really interesting. It was a completely different uh, environment that I was used to, and it made a lot of sense. Talked to a few people on the team, realized that they're a lot of fun and it's a really impactful job. And it made all of the sense in the world to kind of join and really get embedded into the tire world. Yeah. Well, and I think it's it, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is seemingly this role or your team has to integrate or collaborate with so many different areas of the business. And so that's where I think you talk about coming from BSRO, you talk about coming from all the different areas of design and quality and testing and everything. Uh, but f before we get into all of that, like if you were going to tell somebody, like somebody's like, well, how do we bring a tire to market? Is there an elevator speech on that? How do you make it, like what is the process of designing <laughs> or planning the the tire strategy? Wouldn't say there's like an elevator pitch <laughs> for it. It's it in 17 <laughs> seconds. How, yeah, how, how tall a building are we talking <laughs> about here? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's it's really interesting because you have very different ways that you can go about it. So usually we'll kind of see what we currently have in the portfolio because we have a really robust uh, product lineup. So we have a lot of really good products that we can kind of capitalize off of. And when we're looking at products five, 10 years down the line, we can kind of use what we have as a base and really just analyze the market and see if there's anything emerging. So we use a lot of data sources, love USTMA. It's fantastic for uh, industry forecasting. And, and that's U.S. Tire Manufacturers Association, That right? is correct, yeah. yes. They have uh, really robust reporting and it's really interesting to see like what tire sizes are coming on and like rolling off and with supplemental data information, you can kind of, or like supplemental data sources, you can kind of see what it goes on. And you'd be surprised how many vehicles share the same size. It's not anything that, even before this role, wasn't something I thought of. So designing products that fit all of those vehicles for essentially almost different performance levels is really interesting. So that's kind of like how we go about the concept. So we have a, I don't know how deep we want to get into this. Oh, we're going to, we're <laughs> going to dissect the whole thing top to bottom. Beautiful. But, but that's, that's the idea, right? Because I think you, there's general knowledge on a surface level. And we think about how do we design tires maybe from a performance standpoint mm -hmm. or a material and, and the, the science behind it point. But to your, you know, comment right there, you take into account size of the, mm -hmm. the tire itself, the vehicles that it will go on. So there is this whole other range of data points to consider. And when we talk about it, like you are the consumer team and there's 
even two different factions in that. There's replacement tire, right? That mm -hmm. you design the products that some anybody can go in and get off the shelf to put and fit on their vehicle. But there's also original equipment side of right where you're working with the OEM, the manufacturers of vehicles to design tires for them. And you, I guess you've had a lot of experience working with OEMs in some of your different roles, but how do you all go about that whole landscape? The, the interesting thing about our position is we have to be in lockstep with what's going on with OE because what happens today in OE is what's going to happen four years in the future with replacement. So in a lot of ways, you know, and, and it takes, you know, 36 to 48 months to develop a new tire. So in a lot of ways, we have an advantage because we can look and see what's happening today and we can use that to help forecast what we're going to need in a few years. Now, it's a lot more subtle than that in terms of like the different tire categories and, you know, you think about different vehicles that you have to consider to, to be able to work on. But ultimately, we have to understand what's going on in the market. And like right now is a really interesting time because there's so much uncertainty, you know. Everyone knows that electric vehicles are going to be a thing, but no one is exactly sure how quickly, how broad that's going to happen, what unexpected challenges may happen that we can't even anticipate as an industry. But everybody knows that it's important and we we know we want to get a piece of that action. So, you know, we got to look and try to try to get, you know, here's scenario one, here's scenario two, here's scenario three. And what do we think the trajectory of that's going to look like and, and how we, you know, predict that. Yeah, it it seems like it's looking into the future of, of a crystal ball and trying to be like hey, pr predicting. If you know where I can get right? a crystal ball that would work uh, yeah. for this, please <laughs> let me know. It'll make our lives a lot easier. Yeah. Well, but I mean, what is that? You, you guys have both mentioned like the five or the four or five year ish kind of process. What is a realistic or somewhat consistent timeline of bringing something like this to life? Or does it completely vary by any individual project? It varies a lot by like what we're doing and how difficult it is. Mm -hmm. If it's just, hey, we've got a product, like Iris said, if we have a product that's really good and and maybe we're already Dantatsu, we're the best, like a Blizzak, and we want to make sure we stay the best. If we're really on the bleeding edge of technology, it may take us some time to really figure out how do we actually, how do we actually push that envelope to that next, you know, next area. If it's, if it's a, hey, we're, we're maybe like, we need to make a smaller improvement, or maybe it's a more strategic thing where we want to just, you know, increase wear by 10 or 15% or something like that, then it can be a little bit easier for us to be really targeted in what we're going to do and, and go and develop that. Or maybe it's already shelf technology, like, um, you know, the, the development team of Anacron knows that we want longer wearing products. So they're already developing compounds and polymers to help unlock that potential. So it all kind of depends on what the the product is and, and kind of the area that we're playing in there. Lots of variability, lots oh, of yes. time in advance. I, I'm, I mean, I guess I'd need to ask, as you say, all right, this is what we're going to commit to right now as this path forward for one that will pick a random product across the portfolio. But you know, you know, it's going to be a couple of years as you try to evaluate and get to that point. Maybe it's one that has the the iteration that takes a little bit more time. How do you build in, I guess, the ability to pivot in that time frame? Because I can't imagine you're ever like, this is what it's going to be in five years and we're going to build it. No, and it's no, going to be perfect. We've got a thousand every time. <laughs> every time. Fine. Perfect. No, it's great. Perfect. How does that go? I guess, how do, how do you go about, I guess, executing across that timeline like you said you're you're kind of predicting a little bit and taking account variability but it's got to be flux flexing all the time yeah i mean it's it's difficult to kind of <laughs> predict the future of course but uh within the processes that we have we've kind of built in very little flexibility and the beauty of our role is if we're like looking at a size lineup right we can add 
anything at any point in the in the life cycle of a tire. Like, for example, we're adding sizes in the Destination AT2 and the XT. We're a couple of years in and we saw these sizes that were an opportunity and we're bringing those in. But in terms of like, I don't want to say the more complicated products, but the projects that are a little longer term, you know, we have an ability to make adjustments. I want to say maybe midway into the project. But for the most part, we're we're kind of committing a little bit into the future. And maybe Will can kind of add a little bit more clarity in there. Sure. And the, the new product process that, you know, Iris was talking about before is it's a stage eight process. So as you go through the different gates, you have opportunities to review cross-functionally. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're involved, manufacturing is involved, development, pricing, you know, the consumer sales team, everybody has a seat at the table. And you go from, you know, essentially a gate zero, which is just a concept through gate five, which is, hey, the product's been in the market for two years. Did it work the way we thought it should? At each point in the process, we as the product strategy team bring more information to the table. So gate zero could be, you know, I talk to Keith and Keith says, <laughs> hey, I got an idea for a tire. You guys should do this, tire guys. Got a lot of ideas. Exactly. Yeah. And and we're like, okay, Keith has an idea. Gate zero, Keith tire. <laughs> so that's all it takes. Yeah. We yeah. bring Keith tire to our gate. We sit down and we review it with the team and everybody's like, man, we're on board with Keith tire. Let's, let's make this Keith the tire happen. The data behind Keith tire is really looking exactly. good. Oh, yeah. And so... <laughs> Over time, though, we'd have to refine, okay, when we talk about this, what, what sizes are we talking about? For what vehicles? Through what channels? What applications? What are the performance requirements of a Keith tire versus an Iris tire, for example, or a Will tire or, you know, whatever? And throughout that process, we have the opportunity to get input from all these different teams where the development team might say, hey, we, we see what you want here, but we might have a technical gap and it may take us an extra six months to do this very specific test to confirm that we're gonna get the performance that we want and we'll adjust accordingly. So we keep driving forward in that direction, but that's where the course corrections happen. So we've got the strategy, which you know is built on all of the industry things that we look at. And then we're always talking to the team and trying to see how we can adjust as we go forward to make sure that you know we're aligned you know, from top to bottom. Well, I think it's a good point to clarify, too, is that not everything you are putting strategy behind is a new product. There are maybe slight iterations to existing products that could be a next generation. But also, to Iris's point, you're also just looking at what exists that has been successful and we now have an opportunity for even different sizes of the same performance or the same generation model of a tire. So I guess as you look at the criteria that you just outlined what drives, I guess, the the most decision or does it have to be a mix because of how wide the portfolio and vast the opportunities are? It's definitely a mix, but, you know, the the industry drives everything. Mm -hmm. What are vehicles doing? And also from a tire perspective, what are competitors doing? Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that both OE and then also in, in the aftermarket, like what's happening there, what performance trends are are becoming most important to both our customers as well as end consumers and then how do we plan for that and you know there have been cases where you get a very specific product like a blizzak product where snow and ice traction it's you know that that's what a consumer wants that's what customers want that's it's it's easier to sell when you get into a big broad market like like what i was just talking about like the all-terrain market where hey like 10 years ago the idea of putting like all-terrain tires on a lifted subaru wasn't as big a thing, but it's 
exploded over the last couple of years. And so we have to go looking for trends like that so we don't have any blind spots to what may be happening in the market. And it's on us to make sure we don't have those blind spots and that we're always looking proactively at, at what may be out there as far as opportunity goes. Obviously, you're talking about always keeping an eye on what competitors are doing. I guess as you've looked at the industry, you look at the market, are there things that we already do without giving things away that do set us apart, whether it's from a process or a product design perspective? It's something that's happened the last probably, you know, ever since we really started the transformation journey. And, you know, and obviously we're into the North Star now. But the thing that I think I've been happiest with is the focus on the end consumer and making sure that we are we are laser focused on them. And, and we're really starting to bring the customer, so the channel, the retailer into the mix now and how we how we partner with both of those, you know, pieces of the, the puzzle to deliver a product that's going to work for both with both of them in mind. And if there's one thing that we get consistently as feedback from our customers, like big dealers, it's you guys actually want to work with us to, to do better. Do you always, always, always have the best products in every category? Not always. There's some really strong competition out there, but you guys always want to be the best and you're always willing to do whatever it takes to learn how to be the best and, and to continue to push forward. Um, that's pretty consistent feedback that we get, that we're always in front of the customer asking them what it is we can do better. And, and I think, you know, the end consumer doesn't necessarily see that so much from us, but I really think with a lot of our new launches, they're starting to feel it in the feedback we're getting and the performance that we're delivering to the, the end user. Well, what do we see then from, you're over there tracking, you said a lot of the, the trends in the industry as they ebb and flow. What are the things that really move the needle that we put a pin in and say, we need to either know more about this or this is gonna impact our decision from that wider trends perspective? Oh yeah, from a wider trends perspective, I wanna say since our job or my job specifically is very focused on like the sizing and like what goes into a specific pattern. It's it's really what is coming in. Are there any new sizes that we haven't picked up on or don't currently exist in our portfolio? And we can look at different data sources and see how it's growing. Because obviously you don't want to react too quickly to it because it could be a blip. We've certainly had that before. We've seen something that came on. We've monitored it kind of dropped off. All right, not anything we want to react to. So really just monitoring those opportunities of, you know, what what sizes are coming in, what kind of vehicle it is, what performance are they looking for? Like, is this, like the shift in rim size over the last few years has been incredible. Like, it is really interesting to see the chart go from like your low rim diameter, 15, 16 inches into, you know, your higher like, 18, 19, 20 inch tires that we've seen across the entire category and like across the entire industry, really. And being able to react to that with our portfolio and like with our size lineups is is really important because otherwise, you you know, you don't want to be stuck with a whole bunch of tires that don't really fit anything that anymore. That sounds bad. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. It's not ideal for sure. Oh, no. <laughs> and it sounds like, obviously, we've we've talked to a lot of our leaders, the, the term mix obviously comes in and yep. that means a lot of different things. But obviously, one of them is having the right, you know, portfolio of products and high rim diameter is obviously something that we have heard a lot oh, in yeah. the last couple of years as the uh, trend of which strategic products we're going to prioritize. So that all makes sense in that, in that <laughs> regard. You mentioned performance, you know, 
know, I, I know, you know, probably maybe something from your experience working with some of the OEMs. I I bet all of them want the longest wear life. They want the the <laughs> lightest weight and materials and everything, mm-hmm. and they want the most grip. So we can obviously deliver all of those things without any compromise. What's yeah, there's your, no, there's no trade <laughs> So, but uh, so from a you know you're, you're looking at a sizing and you're looking at what is the industry looking for, but also performance is the baseline of a, almost everything we do, right? So how do we continue to evolve or iterate? And what is the give and take on a lot of that in a performance perspective? Yeah, so the the first step to any product development is understanding what the landscape looks like. And that typically starts with competitive benchmarking. And and actually, I'll, I'll take a step back and say that a, a lot of what we've been asked to do really that builds on what Iris was talking about is it's it's awareness of the market in an even broader way than we've done before. So you talk about mix, and there's a lot of... Sp- specifics about mix from sizing and profitability, but also we had a really great opportunity to sit down with Paulo a couple of weeks ago. And he really talked about like this, this concept of hyper segmentation and on not having any blind spots and being really, really choiceful in, we should know about everything and then be really specific about what we do. And in the development process, we've gotten so much better at that in the last, you know, three or four years, because we've taken such a focus on what are competitors doing? What is the competitive landscape? And how do we really figure out how we want to win with our products? So that's really, it's, you know, it's an ongoing process where we're always looking out to try to see, you know, who, who's launching what? What are they doing? Are they doing something that we didn't expect? And I think we built a, a probably a baseline enough to where we're pretty confident that we know about what to expect, but we still have to, you know, we have to have that baseline and always be confirming, you know, what's going on before we start our own developments. And then from there, it's, you know, do a, do value proposition activities where what is really important to the end consumer here? What do they value? And then also, how do we look at it from a retail standpoint of how does someone sell this? Because it's not just, you know, we have to go through the retailer to get to the consumer. And if we don't, then we're, we're going to miss out on a lot of opportunity. So it's kind of getting like the values of each of them in mind and trying to see like m- maybe in certain segments where life isn't such a thing that that a consumer would prefer. Most segments it is. It, it really is that function of by segment versus competition. Where do we want to win? And then, then it's really how do we go do it? And that's where the development magic happens. As you look at, I, I guess, the interaction between the different areas of Bridgestone and you, you think about R&D and material science as well as the manufacturing process, do, does it come from their side too and say, hey, we've had a breakthrough on finding a new material, for example, or changing the way we do the manufacturing process? And does, does that come to you to drive changes in how you look at strategy? Or are you so ingrained throughout that everybody kind of has line of sight to anticipate those types of things? So it's it's a complementary process, I'll say, where we have ideas, we have observations, and but we're, but we're always in a dialogue with with the development team in Akron. Now, the nice thing is we've gotten it down to where we know that in the North American market, winter performance, wear performance, and wet performance are kind of three things that are are really important. And the way that technology works, a lot of times they can be opposing from a technological standpoint. So. A lot of our development inherently is just how do we reduce trade-offs? How do we provide you know long wear life while still having great winter performance, good wet performance, and then increasingly, especially as the industry goes EV, how do we do that while starting to really consider rolling resistance? 
you know, lightweight material circularity as we push into sustainability. So all of those things together are kind of inherent regardless of the product type that we're going to be developing. So there's definitely some, you know, phone calls where it's, hey, we, we just we just found this new polymer where we're going to be able to, you know, increase wear by 30%. And then it's like, okay, cool. When can I have it? <laughs> can I can I have it tomorrow? And then it's it's about okay, how do we logically integrate this into the portfolio? How do we best utilize these technologies? So it's it's a constant dialogue. But there's definitely the thing I love about it is there's passion on both sides. There's passion from us and wanting to we want to you know beat the competition and deliver the best products. But it's also on the development side. They're not waiting for us to tell them exactly what they need before they start to get to work. So I think that all sets me up for a couple of nice closing questions, right? Of the, where do we go from here? Short term though, my understanding is we've got a couple of big products coming to market in 2022. So what is on tap for 2022? Let's start there in the short term look at the, the future. What, what's coming up and what has been the process of bringing some of these things to life? I mean, you know, we have the DriveGuard Plus that mm -hmm. has just launched. Really excited about that product that's going to be phenomenally better <laughs> over uh, the previous generation. But outside of that, we have the weather peak that is launching here in May. May. RE71 RS is, uh, is another one that we're really excited about. This is a competition tire that we've been out of that game for a couple of years, and it's going to be really fun to get back into it. Well, let's, and let's talk about DriveGuard Plus briefly, right? Because I think that's a nice example of, we talk about the iteration in 20, what, 16? We brought DriveGuard to market, right? As consumer, the first run-flat consumer replacement mm -hmm. tire, still really one of the only ones I think available on the market. So a huge innovation at that time to offer to the market. But like, Iris, you were just saying, this will be a phenomenal upgrade to that product. So how do we, how, as you reflect on that, a big breakthrough when we introduced it. And now a couple of years later, how did we go about improving it for the next iteration? I mean, we got a lot of customer feedback on, you know, what the performance is doing, just how easy it is to install from like a dealer perspective. So we got a lot of external feedback on like the post or the pre-generation of, of DriveGuard. And we really incorporated all of that into this new DriveGuard Plus that delivers on better wear, better handling. Um, it's a little easier to install. It, it is all around a great product and all, like a vast improvement from the previous one. So it's something that is a really good example of how we've incorporated a lot of the feedback from the market into this new generation. And I mean, it you know, it, it took a little bit of time, but and I myself am currently driving on the old drive guard, which, you know, I, I really enjoyed. <laughs> Never had to change a tire, so that's fantastic. But, you know, really excited about the new about the new one just because, you know, we do have that better handling and not that it's a problem in Tennessee, but better winter performance. So overall it's very well rounded tire and you don't feel the trade off as much in terms of like from your standard touring tire to a like a run flat tire because usually it'll feel a little stiffer whereas with the new drive guard it'll be a little it'll it'll feel more like a I don't like a conventional tire if that makes sense. It's actually a really good point in that that's been kind of a philosophy shift for us for for this kind of next generation of tires in that like the original drive guard was kind of like it's it's a run flat tire that's a touring tire. Mm -hmm. The plus is really, this is a great touring tire that happens to have extended mobility capability. So we talk about like the Weather Peak, mm -hmm. another great touring tire that's going to happen to have 
all weather capability with a three peak mountain snowflake mark. So it's all just about telling that story of like, don't compromise. We're going to give you exactly what you need, but more. Yeah. And so it just, it's made it, I, I think it's made it a lot easier to talk about this new generation of products because of how we've kind of started with that message in mind as we've gone through the development. Yeah. So then that sets me up for what does the world of consumer tires look like a couple of years down the road, right? We, you made mention, obviously, electric vehicles. We don't think that's a blip. I think mm. we've seen that that's, <laughs> that's yeah. probably trending in the, in the more significant and solidified direction. But I, and I mean, just thinking about what you just said, right, I think there's probably a little bit of we need a lighter, longer lasting tire for EVs. But what does that performance ultimately look like to get to that? And it's about a point of view on how you approach something like that. Like, can you deliver everything or how do you deliver something and then iterate on it over time? I feel like I'm learning from you right now. But what is, I guess, to put the question simply, what are the next five to 10 years of tires look like? you're going to see a big, uh, a huge focus on sustainability going forward. But again, we have to have the end consumer and the customer in mind. So our, our whole goal with, with Enlighten, especially as a technology is, and, and as, as a business model also, is how do we deliver that performance with zero compromise? We're not going to the end consumer and saying, hey, here's a tire that's more sustainable, but you know that where we've been giving you, we're going to have to back off on that. It's the exact opposite approach. We must do both. We're going to do both. And so as we figure out exactly how to communicate that to, to the consumers and the customers and what additional value we can deliver, because we're still very early days in terms of what is the true value of, of delivering a more sustainable product you know, to, to our consumers, to society. And so I'm really excited about how we start to message that and then how that gets integrated into our products you know, with you know, performance products, especially winter products going forward. So it's going to go throughout the entire portfolio really by the end of the decade. And I'm pretty excited about kind of seeing where that goes. I think for our listeners, this is the first mention on the podcast of Enlighten. And I know that we're going to be talking about this for, for those of us who've been receiving communications from our leadership, our global CEO, you know, Ishibashi-san introduced this E8 global commitment, how that plays into our North Star and all of the different areas of the business moving forward. And Enlighten is a big point of emphasis in that. Is there an elevator quick speech for, for the listeners on Enlighten uh, in terms of moving forward? It, it really is about having a business model that is no compromises sustainability. So it's, it's about not choosing. It's about Dantatsu, so best in class performance and sustainability hand in hand, you know, delivering the value to the consumer, to the customer and to society. And, and really it, it, that, that sounds very simplistic, but sure. it really is that simple. How you execute it, especially if you're thinking, how do I do it from raw material sourcing to manufacturing to logistics, it gets really complicated. And I think we're still figuring out exactly like the mechanics of the execution, but I think as we've gotten kind of more into defining it and and trying to figure out exactly how it makes our way into the portfolio and when, we're really starting to get behind this idea that this just makes a ton of sense. And it's going to allow us to differentiate ourselves, I think, in a way that none of our competitors are really thinking about right now, which is is pretty cool. Well, we are excited to see what happens in the, in the year ahead with a couple of big launches coming up. But also, obviously, uh, we've all been talking and looking at the future for a couple of years now. And so to see, to talk to the people predicting the future, it's good to see it all <laughs> come together and lay out before us. But Iris, thanks for taking a couple of minutes. Uh, Will, thanks for the insight and the time. And we look forward to seeing all of this come to life. Great, thanks. Awesome. 
So Will and Iris noted a few of them, but indeed this year, their product strategy will deliver a combination of new products and next-generation offerings. 2022 will see the launch of the new Bridgestone Weatherpeak, the Bridgestone Potenza RE71RS, the Firestone Firehawk ASV2, and the next-generation Bridgestone DriveGuard Plus. Which gets me thinking, we probably need to have Will and Iris back in the future to explore just how our tires get their names. That would be a fun conversation. But while you wait for that discussion, you can always check out some of our previous episodes wherever it is you listen to podcasts. While there, you can give us a rating or a review. As noted here in Season 3, you can also watch some of our episodes via the Bridgestone Americas YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com slash Bridgestone Americas or type Bridgestone Americas into the YouTube search bar. Of course, you can always still reach us via email. Just send a note to thrivepodcast at bfusa.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Keith Cawley reminding you to keep on keeping on. And remember that at Bridgestone, today, tomorrow, together, we thrive. Be good, everybody.